Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off Podcast. On today's show, we're talking gender inequality, the Me Too movement, and what has to happen next. It's not just about fixing the HR department, you know, establishing people throughout the organization to hear complaints who aren't in HR so that people can go to people they feel comfortable with, um, having actual repercussions where people actually lose their jobs and don't just have to apologize and spend two weeks in rehab. Rather than trying to say, let's keep the young men and young women separate when they come into organizations, let's bring them all together and create a uniform mentoring and support group that cuts across all gender norms. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. We just had the first anniversary of the Women's March. It was celebrated with marches across the globe trying to figure out what we're going to do with this Me Too movement. Well, today on the program, we've got two guests who are going to help dive down into this topic. Lee Gallagher is the editor-at-large at Fortune magazine. Jack Myers, he's the founder of Media Village and the author of The Future of Men, Men on Trial. In this discussion, we're going to talk about what needs to occur in the workplace to move the needle on this issue. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. All right. It is time for one of my favorite people to be introduced to the podcast, Lee Gallagher, who is the senior editor-at-large at Fortune and also author. Her book is The Airbnb Story. Uh, Lee, welcome to the show. Jill, thank you. You are also one of my favorite people. Oh, I love that. Also, exciting, so amazing, Jack Myers, the author of The Future of Men, the founder, I just wrote it down, now I can't find it, the founder of Media Village, which is some sort of conglomeration, blah-bitty-blah, gobbledygook thing about online. It's an well online <laughs> online destination for media, advertising, and one other thing, and marketing? Media marketing, advertising, thought leadership. But more importantly, author of a book called The Future of Men... Jack, we start better off with a very important question. You ready? Yes. Best financial decision you've ever made or career decision? Best financial decision I've ever made was to buy Facebook when it was 18. Mm. That was a worst, good one. Worst oh, financial. We don't don't even do it. We'll do the worst one at the end of the oh, program. Okay. okay? I know what it is. All right. Best financial <laughs> decision, buying Facebook at 18. Lee Gallagher. You cover business finance. What's your best financial decision? Did you buy something? Did you like get in on Airbnb early on because you were covering it? I didn't. That would be a conflict, unfortunately. Believe Darn. me, my I have an aunt who's a stockbroker, and she called me and she suggested that. I said, I, I sorry, I can't. Um, but you know, f- uh, business journalists are famously bad about their own finances. So um, one thing that I did that was really important in my own personal finance life was I, I moved to New York in, in my 20s, at, took a job as a journalist, which paid almost nothing, no kidding. Mm-hmm. And I racked up a lot of credit card debt in my 20s because everybody was getting married. And I thought, I'm not going to sacrifice anything. I'm going to live my you? life. You right. Know, the, when the real estate broker shows you the small apartment, they say Manhattan's your living room. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I paid that off. Um, I took a, an apartment that really allowed me to, I got a great deal in an apartment. This was later in my 20s and paid it off and worked really hard to pay it off. That was really, obviously, there was no other choice. It had to happen, but that was one That's thing. good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, I have invited you guys here to talk a little bit about this crazy moment that we have of women in society, but more specifically in the workplace, who are finding their voices. I'm wondering, Lee, whether you think that this is 
something that was knowable that that of course this would happen or had you been hearing about these kinds of things you do cover technology quite a mm-hmm. bit so the whole bro culture what was your reaction as all of this has snowballed well, I think we knew many things. We knew that there's a persistent gender gap. We knew that many workplaces, the culture is stacked against women. Uh, we know that women have been dropping out of the workforce around child rearing. A lot of that involves uh, workplace policies. Um, what I think people didn't know was the extent to which this actual harassment was happening. And, you know, I think we've seen there's a real bell curve. But I mean, you know, I, with, I will say, with the exception of people in those industries, people in Hollywood, you know, everyone knew about Harvey Weinstein, they say. So I think there was a don't ask, don't tell kind of quiet acknowledgement that this went on. But I think everyone has been shocked at the pace, at the severity, at just the sort of snowball effect and saying that it's a good thing that this is all coming out in the open. Well, maybe no, this person isn't so shocked because Jack Myers, in his um, forward to his book, The Future of Men, wrote, and this is in September of 2015, as I wrote this book, I recognized how our society, culture, companies, and lives are permeated by inappropriate sexual activity, sexism, misogyny, and pornography, and how accepted this has become. So you have not been shocked by any of this, I imagine. Not only have I not been surprised, but you referred to this as a a crazy moment in time. I think it's the first sane moment in time we've had Mm -hmm. in a long time. I think when you look at the decades of uh, harassment, uh, misbehavior, objectification, that's where the uh, the craziness was happening mm. in a lot of ways. When the Harvey Weinstein story broke, I, I wrote a piece that said, this is the tip of the iceberg and we're about to go through a tsunami. Uh, I did see it coming. And it's and I saw it coming not because I'm particularly prescient, but because I've done a lot of research on this younger generation uh, that's just coming into the workforce. Uh, they've grown up with the Internet. They've grown up with mobile. They've grown up with completely different attitudes toward uh, toward gender relationship and gender norms, and they're simply not willing to accept uh, the misbehavior. Uh, there are a lot of patterns we're going to see emerging with women becoming much more uh, forceful, and there are also a lot of patterns of complicity in organizations, Lee, that you refer to, not just among men, uh, but complicity among HR groups, human resource groups, talent groups, uh, and female executives as well that I think we're going to see surface. Lee, how accountable do we hold the enablers of this? What if there was an open and notorious attitude by not just HR, but executives, whether it's an executive producer or the person who overseeing news or or just anyone else. Should those people lose their jobs? Well, I think that if it's obvious that that a, a an executive uh, new and enabled, I think that that yes, and you just never know. It ends up being, you know, he said, he said, or he said, she said, and um, it's it's very hard to get to the bottom of that. Mm. And you know, you can say, how could no one know this was happening? You know, we just don't know. So I think it's it's very muddy. I think it's the most important thing is to get the bad seed out the door. It is hard, Jack, because um, I remember when I was uh, when I owned my own business and I found out about some. An inappropriate situation, and I—it wasn't an abuse. It was actually a consensual affair. I was very concerned as an owner that, like, somebody high up was having an affair with somebody who he had power over. And I like, you got to cut it out. You just got to cut it out. You can't do that. Like, one of you got to leave. 
That's that, because otherwise this is not right. Is that attitude what we're going to have to see in organizations? You know, all these people are getting nervous, like, oh, people can't flirt anymore and workplace flirtation's okay. Is it okay? Well, those are big issues, and, and they're not resolved. The answers, we don't really have the answers. What is okay? What isn't okay? And how do you get approval? Is it okay for, for me to say that uh, you look very nice Thank today? Thank you. That was fine uh, with me. Good. <laughs> you can hug me also, uh, by the way. But um, when I say it now, I'm also concerned, is that appropriate or not? Uh, I think there, that a lot of men are asking similar questions, but more importantly, uh, when it comes to the to the questions of who should be, who shouldn't be mm. fired, the, the idea that people didn't know things, whether it, it be those who have been openly outed for their misbehavior are one thing, but to say that no one knew what was going on, both men and women knew. Men who are married where, where other women and men knew what their behavior was but didn't tell their wives. Uh, there's been a code of secrecy that's been allowed to permeate uh, corporations, businesses, organizations, and uh, neighborhoods, families, groups. And I think that code of silence is now broken. There's no more uh, omerta in in gender relationships. I think it also gets really complicated because power comes into play. And when it's the star, the boss, whoever, the person who holds control over your career or who holds control over your department. And I just think, I think there's so much stacked against coming forward. You could lose your whole career and no one wants to do that. And then the other thing is that sometimes it's not always so cut and dry. I mean, you know, even in the Matt Lauer case, well, I mean, there are many things that were cut and dry, but the woman who came forward and said it was consensual it and said it really isn't, even though I said, you know, I, I, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, you know. that's a funny thing, because I think that the, the difference is when you're 22 years old and you're starting your career, your male boss says, you know, here we are in the Olympic Village, like, come on over and hang out with me, which sounds really fun. And then... You're in that moment where maybe you you may or may not want to be. Let's just say you do want to be there. But then things progress. And then you feel like, oh, my God, if I say no, what happens to my job? Is this a ca- yeah. career killer? I, I am sure there are many, many women who have had what the man would call consensual sex where it's been where the woman has had her teeth clenched and wondered how long is it going to take to get through this or how many times do I have to do this, but where she felt she had no choice if she wanted her career to go forward. And if she went to HR, she would be putting her job in jeopardy. And the answer would probably be, look, that's the game here. Play it or leave. And that's where, I mean, HR companies, many are often tilted towards the company. Right. Because, you know, that's the problem that somebody said to me, which was fascinating. And that is, hey, you know what? HR companies on Wall Street are basically about, yes, we want to foster safe places and do all of this, but they're they're part of the organization. And I think that employees feel like if I go to HR, the HR person is not there to protect me. The HR person is there to protect the organization. That's who pays 
his or her salary. And I think that's a problem right there. That's a problem. And of course, they don't want any attention drawn to the company if something gets out. And um, I, I will say not every HR company operates that way. But I think that is a uh, sort of conflicted setup right there. And I think that there's a, one of the many, many things that this whole movement is teaching us is that that has to change. Uh, if I were going to start a business, I would want to start a consulting company to come in and talk to HR departments about how to you know, revamp their workplaces yeah. so that this doesn't happen. In fact, we are doing a number of those uh initiatives to to work with companies, not just in this area of gender relationships and gender norms, but especially focused on this younger generation just coming into the workforce. First of all, they've grown up with a completely different set of expectations. They're looking for experience, experiences rather than experience. They're not looking at career. The average first job is nine months versus 18 months a decade ago. They're also women are staying in the jobs longer. They're more likely to be the primary or equal wage earner in the home. Uh, they're more likely to be single later into their careers, and they're staying in the job. So I believe over the next five years, we're going to see a purging of HR groups that, that focus on uh, past needs and realities instead of future ones. We're going to see a shift in men leaving their jobs uh, for a variety of reasons, including being purged out because of sexual uh, misbehavior. We're also going to see women taking those jobs and staying in their careers longer and being more likely to get promotions. The challenge that I look at is how do we look at young men who are just coming into the workforce and embrace them, support them, make sure that they continue to be supporters of feminism, which many of them are, as opposed to turning against uh, women and seeing themselves as being the mistreated uh, gender. Now, that's a, a fascinating thing because, you know, the last thing that I think of when I'm going through the analysis of this issue is like, oh, how do I protect young men? Of course, the young men are the sort of the saviors because they are the ones that are shifting. Jack, you said in the book that the last generation of what you call traditional men is in their late 20s. Yeah. Who are, so describe what is that traditional man? The traditional men are the ones who hold on to the tenets of the negative patriarchy, who believe that the man is the provider, believe that it's the man's role and job to be out of the home, in the workforce, providing for the family, that he has uh, rights God-given because he's male uh, to be more powerful financially, more powerful from a regulatory point of view, more powerful from a physical point of view. Young men don't hold those beliefs. The negative patriarchy has fundamentally been destroyed, but as we're seeing now in politics, it's it's uh, in jeopardy of, of coming back in force as a backlash. Um, Lee, I'm wondering, do you see that? I mean, in Silicon Valley, have you seen it? And what are these companies doing to address it? Well, Silicon Valley, it's funny because I do agree with Jack. The younger generation has all kinds of different views on everything. I mean, look at how fast we've moved as a society on issues like diversity and mm -hmm. gay marriage and everything. And so much of this is coming from the younger generation, a different value system. But you take some of these young men who are still being shaped and formed and you put them in the Petri dish of Silicon Valley, which which has big problems. And that's their formative years and that's how they're shaped. And, and that's not a good thing. That's just a small slice of society. But I do think those companies are are uh, very aware. Those companies are dealing with a lot right now between the harassment epidemic, which sort of started in Silicon Valley and then was quickly overshadowed by uh, Hollywood and then the rest of culture. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very bad there. 
And then also the greater seismic issues around uh, is is tech a force for good or force for evil with everything that Facebook and Google and you know and all these companies are going through right now. So they're really dealing with a whole reckoning on a lot of things. Uh, when it comes to the workplace issues, I mean, I think they're just like the rest of companies trying to figure out how can we do away with this, how can we how can we fix this? And there are some tangible things that many of them are starting to talk about. It's not just about fixing the HR department. It's about installing proportional consequences so that it, there's no zero tolerance. So if you look at someone the wrong way, you're ousted. Um, you know, establishing people throughout the organization to hear complaints who aren't in HR so that people can go to people they feel comfortable with. Um, having actual repercussions where people actually lose their jobs and don't just have to apologize and spend two weeks in rehab. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Lee Gallagher and Jack Myers in just a second. You know one place where you don't have to worry about equality? At our sponsor, Betterment. Everyone is treated equally. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor, and the company provides personalized advice for your financial planning needs. Woman, man, gender nonspecific, whatever you are, you can go straight to Betterment. They offer low transparent advisory fees compared to traditional services. And one really cool feature of Betterment is that it is a way to look at all of your wealth. Betterment gives you a clear view of your net worth when you sync your outside accounts like bank accounts and other investments. And Betterment shows you how much your outside accounts are costing you in fees and uninvested cash. And as your personal investment manager, Betterment always has your back. They don't get commissions for recommending funds. They don't have funds of their own. That means they do what they believe is right for you. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash better off. And now back to our interview with Lee Gallagher and Jack Myers. It's interesting uh, when I started doing research for the future of men and I, I started paying attention to my own interaction and my own behaviors. And I'd realized that when I was with a small group of men at a social event, three or four men, five men gathered together talking, I started timing how long it would take before the first inappropriate comment, misogynistic or objectifying comment, uh, were made. And it was about two minutes. Two uh, minutes, huh? Average. That long. Yeah, exactly. Some 30 seconds. Sometimes it was the opening comment to break the so-called ice. Uh, and, and I started saying after a while of listening to this and, and realizing I can't be a part of this given the position. I'm taking with the future of men uh, and, and as hopefully a leader in, in ending some of these uh, attitudes and fostering new new behaviors. And, and so I started calling them out uh-huh. when they'd say it. And how would you do uh, that? Let's I would go say, do an example. I would say, I, would say I, I can't be a part of this conversation. That's an inappropriate comment. Would you say that if your wife or girlfriend were here or, or if it were mixed company? No, that's why I'm saying it. And Exactly. And, and I started walking away. And about a third of the men would make fun of me or have some snide comment, uh, well, we're not going to talk to you anymore, um, about a third of the men would simply ignore it, and about a third of the men would come over to me afterwards and, and ask me why. What oh, that's I, interesting. And, and it was typically the younger guys who were falling into these patterns of behavior who, would, who wanted to understand how can they not participate in this. I will say many people in Silicon Valley are adopting, we're hearing anecdotes of that sentiment seeping in among men. 
you know, adopting, you know, some people call it the Mike Pence rule, you know, yeah. not wanting to go out to dinner. I mean, I, I've worked with men mm-hmm. my entire career, business journalism. I mean, it's actually pretty 50-50. And I, I've, when you're talking about how someone said an inappropriate comment, Jack, I mean, I, I actually have never really, I've never had, had a problem. And, and I don't know why, but I mean, it's it's not been an issue in my particular workplace and and industry. Jack, in your book, The Future of Men, one of the things that you cite is a Stanford Graduate School of Business study that showed women who are able to develop the male qualities of assertiveness, confidence, and aggressive behavior, and who know when to use these behaviors, have more success in business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the the continuation of that... uh paragraph talks about how men who can develop the more feminine, traditional feminine qualities of collaboration, multitasking, giving credit to others, uh, can also do better. We're seeing a merging of the uh, traditional gender qualities or characteristics in young people today, where to define a young person, a young woman today as having traditional male or female characteristics, most of them wouldn't know what you're talking about, because what we're seeing today in this lean-out generation of young women is a uh, more focus on their careers, more focus on what they can contribute to society, how they can be uh, more assertive, how they can ask to get paid what they uh, have the right to be paid. Uh, and we're seeing in men more of a collaborative undertone tool and multi the ability to multitask because they've grown up uh, all grown up together on the internet the concept of traditional characteristics i think is ending and it's very important when we think of solutions and we look at hr groups and corporations and organizations that have women's groups i think they need to start looking at how they can broaden out and also embrace young men the last thing we want to do when young men come into an organization is turn them over to the old boys net work. Mm. And that's all there is for them right now. We want to embrace them. And there's no organized structure to embrace young men, especially young white men, to help support, guide, and mentor them. And I think rather than trying to say, let's keep the young men and young women separate when they come into organizations, let's bring them all together and create a uniform mentoring and support group that cuts across all gender norms. It's interesting because these employee network groups seem to me um, a place where there is a lot of that happening happening, that bringing them in rather than shutting them out is really the way to go, right? Absolutely. I think absolutely. And, you know, I joke a lot that one day, you know, we have this most powerful women's summit and it was born out of the notion that women executives were few and far between. This was 20 years ago when we founded it. And um, I always joke that one day we're going to have the most powerful man's summit because they will be the minority. I mean, you know, God I'm, willing. It's not a joke. <laughs> not a joke. Right. But all of I. Yeah. But it'd be nice if it were the most powerful people's Sure. It summit. would. It would. And on, on the notion of, you know, women needing to be aggressive to compete with men, I do think that that was the case with the first generation of women in business, just like they had to dress like men and act like men. And that's when you got into the position where there could only be one woman in the room. And so the women were competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's really changed. And mm-hmm. I actually think, and studies have shown this, that 
you know, women and men do lead differently for the reasons you said, Jack. I mean, women are better at consensus building, have more EQ, you know, more hump, bring more humility to the table. Look at how Mary Barra, when she took over GM, the first thing she did, she was so contrite, she apologized and she got to work and she made it better. I mean, these are not stereotypes. Men and women Mm -hmm. do lead differently. And the skills that women bring to the table are the very skills that a lot of the new, um, the jobs that are going to take us into the future uh, demand. And so I think that the cards are increasingly in the future going to be stacked in women's favor in terms of career development and in terms of position in the workplace. I completely agree with that. I think there's there's a huge amount of statistical evidence to support that, Lee. Uh, For example, among women under 30, childless and unmarried, they're out earning young men under 30 by Uh, 8% nationally and 20% in major cities. In terms of men's groups, we're seeing more and more groups form to support men, and many of them are very positive, supportive, and reinforce all the positive issues we're talking about here. But then there are other men's groups that have formed and are forming that I call the angry men's groups. Mm. Uh, Tell them to go get an education, and then they can stop being so angry. Well, a number of them are, are, you know, very well educated. A number of them are very powerful, and they're coming together because they feel undermined. They feel like they're losing their place in society. What are these white dudes with all the advantages in the world crying about? That they're losing some of those advantages? Absolutely. They're so awful. I want names. And then we can like publicly <laughs> humiliate them. They're not, well, they're, they're losing everything that they've grown up to believe in, in terms of what who they are as a man, what a man stands for, what the definition of a man is. We have to recognize we're redefining men. And, and we see this in media, too, and in advertising, where you look back over the last 30 to 40 years of, of men, and one of the few positive role models you can find is, of all people, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. And you look at the, the men who are buffoons in TV shows, who, where the, the, the wives or women always have to come to their to save them from their um, mistakes or their errors or their um, naivety. Uh, You look at men in beer commercials who are misogynist and sexist, where the woman is a beautiful, Mm -hmm. scantily clad woman is moving them, a guy who can't even pick out his own analgesic or know how to take a paper towel to wipe up the counter. And when we do see positive male role models, which is very rare, but more frequently, typically they're with their daughters and not with their sons. Yeah, that's weird. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wrote a piece about this, actually, not totally about that, but just the images in our culture. And by the way, Sheryl Sandberg, when she founded the Lean In Movement, one of the first things she did was focus on getting more women in advertising images, which mm-hmm. I didn't even, it didn't even really occur to me until until that movement came out. And I thought, my God, of course, even, you know, a woman standing at the table giving the presentation instead of a man. It goes on and on. We, we have this permeating society, permeating mu- music, media, advertising. We do. And we need to take the, the lessons that have been learned by uh, the women's movement uh, facing down objectification in TV advertising and begin to bring that sa- those same kinds of issues to the forefront about how men are portrayed, portrayed. and perceived yeah, because of media. Great, that's a great point. I have marveled, being the old feminist that I am, that for a while there were a lot of younger women, much younger than I, who would be like, I'm not a feminist. And I'm like, you know, shut up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. Like, wake up. That, I think, that notion of, like, feminism is dead, it hath arisen. And it has come back. And I'm wondering, Jack, now, how you see, in the near term, what happens with that passion and that energy. 
The question I have about the current wave of outings in among the rich, powerful, and wealthy is how, do the, how does that filter down to the local uh, Walmart, to the McDonald's, to the, to the workplace that the average American is a part of uh, and where women are being subjected to harassment and objectification every single day? How does it filter down and how are they empowered to respond? I think that's a really great question. I mean, the New York Times did a great piece about the GM. Um, the women in the, I think it was GM or Ford plant. Yeah, yeah it was. And mm-hmm. and those those are um, industries and workplace situations that aren't as, quote unquote, woke as, you know, uh, some of us in media towers in Manhattan. Right. And um, and and don't have the resources if they, they can't risk their jobs. I mean, it's it's really hard. I think there's a more of an awareness. I mean, I love how this Time's Up movement in Hollywood, the, the purpose of this funds that they've raised is to go to women who can't mount defenses for themselves. And I think we need to see a lot more of that. And I think it's going to take a long time for this awareness to permeate, to make it comfortable in those kinds of workplaces for people to come forward. I think it's... um, I think think we're going to see more and more uh, people using their mobile device and the recording ability and the The ability to just... The most democratizing... Thank you, Steve Jobs. I mean, now we we can record anything. It's brought to light so many things. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we are in the middle of a, a real transformative shift. I mean... It was only 20, 30 years ago that women started entering the workforce in, in mass, in significant numbers. And, and, and now we're at a point where it's, it's, we don't bat an eye at a woman's CEO, but we're not there yet. You know, and yeah, so 20 still- years from now, it's going to be more. And, you know, we're already seeing at our women's conference, we asked the audience, who has a, who's the primary breadwinner and who has a stay-at-home spouse? And many people's hands went up. And so now you're going to have kids raised, boys raised by powerful women. And I think that's going to have a big, big shift. We're having, you know, we will have a female president soon. We, we, we're we crossing all these markers for the first time. Uh, we had a woman running the Fed. I mean, and I think it's only going to grow. It's, it was only in 2001 there were only three women on the Fortune 500. Now yeah. they're 26, 27. That's not enough. That's crazy. That's 6% in some. But, um, you know, it's, it's moving fast. And I yeah. think that as it continues to move, we'll see more. And, and as, you, as you mentioned, stay-at-home dads and how many uh, women raise their hands, say their, their husband is stay-at-home dad, we need to start redefining the stay-at-home dad as opposed to being an out-of-work dad, which many people automatically assume. He's a dad who's making a choice for his family, for himself, and for his partner. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to honor, recognize, and reward those people who make those choices and not assume that they're somehow out of work or making not making the choice to be at home with their families. We also and that also assumes, by the way, that the family has the resources. Yeah, to I was just going to say one that. working parent. Exactly. I mean, this is the, the CEO group of CEO women. Of course, you know, it's right? Possible. They've got three and, nannies and one yeah. one of the parents is at home, so and, that's good. It's not possible and we also everyone. need to open up and create. Positive role models for men as nurses. There's a United Healthcare ad where uh, the man, there's a male nurse treating a young cancer patient, and it's a very positive role model of him being caring and open and vulnerable. And we need to em- empower men just as we've empowered women to be in the STEM careers. We need to empower men to be in what I call the HEAL careers health, education, administrative, and library science. Did you make that up? I don't think so, but okay, I take I'm credit give for it, to it you. Anyway. I like that. Heal. All right. Very good. Okay. Before we finish up, what gives you hope right now, Jack? 
uh, it gives me hope. This younger generation gives me a tremendous amount of hope. They're an open generation. They're a generation who cares about each other, who cares about society, who cares about uh, improving the world. And they're a society that they're a, a group that has grown up, a cohort that's grown up without looking at gender as being a defining characteristic. They look at gender as a spectrum as opposed to being a man or woman, male or female. It's you're on the you're on the gender spectrum somewhere. And I believe that uh, they are going to be a very powerful force for transformation and change. Lee? What gives me hope is just how this conversation has been blasted out into the open. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's in many ways, it's up to the press that everything's go- everyone's going to the press. That's the way these things are coming out. I mean, it's not like we have um, like a board, like the medical board. There's no kind of you know central organization to sort of vet everything. And maybe that's something that someday will emerge. But that gives me hope. And then just the the, the incredible momentum that women in in positions of power and leadership and that entire movement has. It's unstoppable. Oh, I love that. Jack, we started the show. I asked you your best financial decision. You said it was buying Facebook at $18 a share. What is your worst financial decision? My worst was leaving the corporate world uh, many, many years ago and starting my own business. I'm sure I'd be making a lot more money today, but would not have had as much time with my family, uh, not have had as much fun. And frankly, I'd probably right now be worrying about what I do next. And I'm not worried about that now. Oh, fantastic. Lee, what do you say? My worst financial decision. Um, you know, I don't own any real estate. Oh, Lee Gallagher is on the hunt. She needs an apartment. (laughs) Will all the folks out in New York City get it going? Uh, I want to thank you both so much. Lee Gallagher, she is the senior editor at large for Fortune. Her book is called The Airbnb Story, How Three Ordinary Guys Disrupted an Industry, Made Billions, and Created Plenty of Controversy. It's out in paperback when? Uh, February 13th. Jack Myers, founder of Media Village, but author of the most prescient book I could imagine called The Future of Men. It was initially subtitled Masculinity in the 21st Century. But when the paperback comes out later this spring, it's going to be called Men on Trial. Is that right? Men on Trial because all of us are. And we need to recognize uh, every day Uh, in all of our actions that we're going to be judged by our behavior. And not just by your maker, by society. Thank you both so much. Well, thank you so much to Lee Gallagher and Jack Myers for joining us today. Don't forget, we've got new episodes of this podcast, Better Off, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Just go to wherever you download those podcasts and subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We haven't asked for that in a while, so please do that as well. If you have a question, email us, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. If you've missed any portion of any of our shows, you can go to jillonmoney.com and check them out. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. We're distributed by Cadence 13. Mark Talaris, who is the most excellent executive producer ever. And we are sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. We'll see you next week. 